tell you names. Mr. White, Mr. Blonde, Mr. Pink. Why am I Mr. Pink? Who cares what your name is? Yeah, that's easy for you to say. You're Mr. White. You have a cool-sounding name. Let's go to work. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling there's something right. What happens if the manager won't give you the diamonds? Cut off one of his fingers. The little one. I'm so scared because I fall out of the chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. If they hadn't done what I told them not to do, they'd still be alive. It's so hard to keep the smile from my face. You're acting like a first year thief. I'm acting like a professional. And your family on the corner. Slap you on my back and say, choice you've been doing 10 years. Taking out some shit for months. Ain't no choice at all. Bam. Bam. Bam, 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 bam. You're under arrest, sugar. <laughs> Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth. Chris Penn, Steve Buscemi, Lawrence Tierney, and Michael Madsen. They're the Reservoir Dogs. Hey, Joe, want me to shoot this guy? This is Waffle On Podcast. Welcome to Waffle Arm Podcast. My name is Simon Reddings. And I'm MC Kelly. You can move a little bit closer if you want. Well, my, my booming voice. Uh, Your booming voice. <laughs> my booming voice. Yes. My hello, voice. hello, hello, and welcome to the show. And how are you, sir? I'm all right. You're very quiet. You say, you say that in a very reserved manner. Uh, yeah, it's because I'm really tired at the moment. <laughs> it's just been a long weekend. Yeah. Cheeky fox in the house. I was going to buy some really bad dirty double on time today, but I bet it better well, not. It's not that good. I'll be bragging. I'll be bragging a bit more. But yeah. It was just the pox. The pox. The pox. So anyway, yes, we might as well crack on. Um, and Cal, what are we talking about today? We're talking about uh, one of our influential films of our life, uh, Reservoir Dogs. We are indeed, but should we have a bit of housekeeping and something very important first? We will, as long as it's not going on for like 40 minutes like it did before. No, <laughs> no it's, it's, it's good. Then, uh, my wife listened to that and said, listen to it, waiting for the noise a little bit, and said, it was on there for five minutes, <laughs> you still weren't talking about it. <laughs> nah. I thought that would be like that. Yeah, we did waffle on a bit. So first of all, let's have some housekeeping. We do have a new iTunes review on here, and uh, this is through Kutumi, K-U-T-O-O-M-I. And uh, and this individual says, exceptional. Mm-hmm. I know, I know, yes, five stars. Thus do I speak of this podcast, wherein contained is much of Midlandic jest and entertainment found. I like that. that someone's is... got some fair play. Someone's gone to the effort of actually spoken Middle Earth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. So uh, thank you very much. Well done. Uh, congratulations. Uh, now, Cal, what do we have to announce today? That was really off. That was shit, wasn't it? <laughs> it was that shit. was shit. I'm not editing that. No, 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 leave that in. Whoever that is, that's in the Monday would have been a word in nine and a half hours. Somebody, yes, somebody has won. Well, we haven't yet. We haven't pulled the name out yet. Now we've had fix. We've had. Now we're not going to say how many people entered because that would be embarrassing. No, that would be embarrassing. But it's it's over fifteen. Yeah. Yeah, under twenty. 
<laughs> and I'm not going to say how many people got it right, but we do have all the names here. And we've got to, in the prize, uh, if you can call it such as a prize, the mugs turned up today. Fucking mugs. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> listeners, you've got to appreciate, whoever gets this mug, Stroke Cup, has really got to appreciate this because I've heard nothing about cups and mugs. You know, like the way Son of Sam killed people because of the dog next door called Sam. I am going to be son of your fucking cups. <laughs> I am going to kill people because of these bloody cups. And they actually turned up today. Two, so two, two, a- appreciate two it. Two F words at the beginning of the podcast. I don't care. Fucking <laughs> cups. I don't want to hear that word again out of your mouth. I warned you that. Right. Warn, okay. You can never say them words again. You can use beaker. You right. can use... Beaker. <laughs> uh, you can't um, use that word. <laughs> Tumbler? Yeah, you can use tumbler. Cups. You cannot use cups. No, cups are You and bloody cups. What about And it's, it's still like whatever. There's still an ongoing thing with cups in yeah, there. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> so, yes, our competition winner. Now, before we announce who that winner is, let us tell you what those theme tunes were for those who had a go. Um, and this is in the order of being played. Obviously, otherwise it'd be bloody stupid. Uh, the Benny Hill Show, The Fall Guy, Return of the Saints, Auto Man, uh, that was one that stumped quite a few people. The Cosby Show, ironically didn't. Made Marion and the Merry Men, Vickery's Big Night Out, uh, end credits, but we let people off. Yeah, yeah. Crystal Star Block Out, Round the Twist, The Avengers, Rhubarb and Custard, The Italian Job, Dempsey and Make Peace, British Empire, Randall and Hopkirk Deceased, uh, that actually got a few people. Vandervelt, Cagney and Lacey, Miami Vice, Get Carter, Rockford filed, and there was a bonus one at the end, which wasn't in the competition, but for anyone who's uh, who stays towards the end of the credits, as we say, we always put a bit of a bonus mm-hmm. on, um, was the theme tune to Wisby, as performed by your sexual hero, Paul Daniels. Which boy said, well, it's my reason. Very... So, Cal, okay. would you like to pull a name out right. of the hat, please? Sir? Right there, right there. Prove this is a... Hear that? There you go. Yeah. Hear that? Hear that full, full hat. Full hat. Out of your Union Jack hat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if I pull out the price tag, that would be both with my own name. Here we go, here we go. Yeah, here we go, here we go, listeners. Dean Hill. Dean Hill, sir, you are the winner. And you get this impressive mug, cup, goblet, tumbler. Yeah. Um, and you also get a signed, what are they called? Postcard? Postcard. Yeah. It's quite a big postcard. It's, I guess it's a postcard oh, if, yeah. in. Uh, if you're a giant. If you're a giant, yeah. So you get a signed postcard, you get uh, the mug, and you also get a couple of comics that I had spare. Uh, Cal donated a brand new, it's new, brand uh, new. Superman wallet. Superman wallet. And uh, I think that's it. Oh, and we've got the two scripts. We've got the script from um, the January one, and we've also got the uh, script from this one, which I'll get Cal to sign in a minute. Don't laugh. Look, it's <laughs> the only thing we've got. They've got a mug. <laughs> yeah. They've got a mug. Should be bloody grateful, but uh, well done to everybody who did uh, did enter. I must admit, we were, we did get an awful lot of entries, and thank you very yeah, much. No, I mean, I'm, I'm being, I'm being a bit facetious. Yeah. Very nice, yeah. Because we, we wouldn't enter, we wouldn't enter our home. We wouldn't win, even if we entered our home. <laughs> even if it was just me and you that entered, we still wouldn't win. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, hey, Cal. So, before we go on, uh, let's talk about what uh, we've been watching uh, so far. Anything standing out on TV for you at the moment? No, um, to be honest, that you I, haven't talked about before. I haven't talked about. I've talked about it all the while. Um, mm. This, this is where there's some maybe some preparation sometimes. Uh, no, I think it's been um, it's been a quiet month. The big thing is uh, is uh, Game of Thrones in two weeks. Seriously? Oh yes. And if any people out there are Game of Thrones fans, like there is some of them because I know. There is Flint? Is he in the third one? He is. Yeah, he, he's sort of a pretty major character. Mm. Even though, like I told you, I didn't even know that was Jerome Flynn. Well, there you go. You that see, shows you, though, he's a, he's a good actor. 
Yep. You know what I mean? Because like I said, we know him. We were ruined with him. Soldier, soldier. Because of Robson. Robson Green's a decent actor as well. He's a bit, but all we can yeah, think yeah. of is that. Yeah. And that bloody awful, unchanged. Let's not go there. <laughs> not playing anything like that. No, what are you, what, you've been uh, digging? Well, of course, uh, really still enjoying Suits. Uh, I know, yeah. Really enjoying That's that. been, uh, just been another, doing another season that. Season been picked three, up. I yeah. know. It deserves so. Great series. Uh, obviously, Derek ended uh, um, a couple of weeks back. Uh, a brilliant TV yeah. series. And now we're going to talk about what's on Friday. Oh, Equality Street on Comic Relief. Now, Comic Relief, I only watched half of it because I taped it and I fast forward through all the depressing bits. Uh, And it was awful. Peter Kay, once again, atrocious. Uh, If I remember, if I can remember to do it, let's write it on the script. We'll play Equality Street as done by Ricky Jubal, David Brent, and his rapper mate. And we'll put that right at the very end. It's uh, Along with a couple of scenes from Reservoir Dogs because we can't play them at the beginning of the show because it contains lots of swear words. And okay. we've got to get it out tonight, and I can't do all the editing. Yeah, one thing it is a very swear, as we'll find out, it's very sweary. Indeed, it is. But before we go on, we yeah. have an email about Nigel Neal. Oh, okay. is he? Who's he from? Gareth Floyd. And Gareth has this to say Hi, guys. Well, I've been a huge fan of Nigel Neal's work since watching the John Mills Quatermass series as a kid. Since then, I watched all the other Quatermass serials and movies, and they are brilliantly written and have a great mix of the ordinary and the fantastic. His other work is also excellent, from predicting reality TV with the year of the Sex Olympics, mixes science and ghosts in a stone tape, to his brilliant adaptions of The Woman in Black, and some of the sharp episodes he was responsible for writing some of the very best television we've seen. It's a shame he isn't remembered, as he is just as talented as, say, Dennis Potter, and it's a shame that some of his work has been wiped, including the play The Road, which seems to have been a brilliantly scary story. I'd love to see someone like Mark Gatiss write a remake of Quatermass, Perhaps with Kenneth Branagh in the lead role. I'm yeah, that's, that's so great. thanks, guys, for a great show, and all the best, Gareth. That's so, a really lovely email, and it's exactly right what we were saying. That wasn't we? Yeah. You know, to be honest, I, I don't know who wrote the the other the re, when Quiet Mass came came back oh, on because no, that wasn't Nigel Neal. No, he was no, quite no. old boy then, so I don't know who did that anyway. That's probably got Mark Gattis over it anyway. Hasn't yeah, he? he's probably got some producer thing in it anyway. But, mm. uh, yeah. So Cal. Onto our main subject, what do we normally do? We usually play the theme tune, but what are you going to play in this one then? You're just playing the main. We're going to play the title theme, Little Green Bag, by the George Baker selection.
Yeah, come on. Um, great opening track there. It, it's an amazing record. I, 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 like I said, I'm, this is going to be basically a podcast of uh, let's, yeah, let's have a walk down memory lane. Yeah. Burn around your house and you're having the soundtrack. And, thinking, uh, and ah. it's in my car at the moment. Yeah, it's like <laughs> Quinn Santino soundtracks, just amazing. Broke boundaries, do you think? Definitely, because he, he, well, the thing is, I know people say that it's the, you know, it's the easiest way to do music in films now is just have a jukebox mm. like Martin Scorsese but the thing with him but the thing with Quinton these songs weren't well known no and they really did set the mood as much as Marikoni or with, you know John mm. Williams or whatever I know people think that's classic soundtrack but to me I was bought with, with Martin Scorsese mm. and you know I always liked Martin Scorsese things, but they never always had the music on the soundtrack did it like Casino has got some of the best music in ever but it's not on the soundtrack but this mm. This had everything you heard in the film, and straight away you put that on, you can know exactly this, what scene's happening in the film. It is indeed. I mean, I was listening. To, I, I watched Reservoir again last night. Um, me and my wife did, and and uh, well, she did the jigsaw whilst I watched it, and I haven't watched it in about oh, probably what? since me and you live with each other. Because well, so we seven just years did it to death, didn't we? Yeah, did it to death. And you know what? Watching it last night, it just seemed fresh, man. It just seemed so fresh. I love films. I love TV programs that. You could almost do on stage, and I've always said this is a film that could be done easily on it stage. It was, wasn't it? I think it probably was, yeah. yeah. Uh, in fact, the the um, the test thing... Uh, um, uh, that can, but not yeah, can. can. No, Sundance. Sundance was that. He did with just Steve Buscemi, and it was just him and the can. And, um, yeah, it just sounds so fashion. And listen to the soundtrack, and whatever you say, when Steeler's Wheel Stuck in the Middle with You comes on, you automatically you know, no. go straight to the razor yeah. blade bit. And, you know, and, and what I'm saying, now, I think, I don't know... Uh, I mean, it's in the facts later on, so I will repeat myself on this, but this film is more popular in England than what it was in America. Oh, uh, yeah, um, I think so. It, got a great, it, got, it made more money over here. And I think the soundtrack made shitloads of money, but mainly because of the fact that, I think maybe in America you might have known some of the songs on there, but definitely over here we certainly didn't. Um, but the, as you say, the, the, you love the line, the coconut song. Yeah, oh, I love that. Uh, I love the, the, the country western song that's played in there. I think it's Sally. Well, it's even the way it's here from Stephen Wright. Doing yeah, the links. Doing the links to You know it, what yeah. I mean? It's like people, you know, I remember they come out and like, oh, bloody remember how good Stephen. I know that sounds ridiculous because Stephen Wright is a proper influential in America, but yeah. over here, you didn't, like Emo Phillips, he was everywhere, then just disappeared. And they thought, oh, God, Stephen Wright, he's mm. just got an amazing voice, hasn't oh, he? So, uh, directed by Quentin Tarantino, produced by Lawrence Bender, his, his friend. Uh, of course, it was written by Tarantino, classically written by him. We've uh, also uh, wrote Roger Avery, who did the background radio dialogue. Um, edited by Sally Menk, who did, I think, six of um, Tarantino's mm. films, uh, was distributed by Miramax. I think this film probably made Miramax more than anything. It certainly got them on the radar for worldwide. Uh, yeah, definitely. And, of course, the Weinstein. Fucking Weinstein. Uh, released uh, October the 23rd, 1992. A good running time of 99 minutes. A classic running time. Yeah, that's what Budget, 1.2 million. Box office, 14 million. It's crazy. So, 1.2 million. I know. You know what I mean? And it's not. It's 1.2 million dollars. With such an amazing bunch of actors, mm. you're thinking, you know, you couldn't get that. You'd have to pay that each now. And, and you think, oh, you know, it's it really, I know we're going to go into the characters, but, it, you know, Harvey Coitel, it really, it, what's the word I'm looking for? 
you know, it sort of reawakened people's realising how good Harvey Keitel is as an actor. I was going to was then, because you haven't seen that much of me, and I think well, he's no, knocking on a bit now as well. well he's knocking on a bit. I mean, to be fair, I mean, I, I only really knew Harvey Keitel from Scorsese. Well, uh, when, it's, from, when it's uh, Tax Driver, isn't it? Yeah. That's yeah. where, that, that's the only thing I'd ever saw him in yeah. before. But the funny thing is, I know he's got long hair in Taxi Driver, yeah. he plays a pimp, doesn't he? Yeah. But he, uh, his face still looks exactly the yeah. same. And, and then, of course, we saw him in, um, I got, I got, no, 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 no. Yeah, I, I'm not too sure that my memory's a bit hazy now, but I remember we got, I got Reservoir Dogs on a copy from uh, America because Spence got it, mate. It's when it was kick or Spence. Yeah, because uh, it was going to be banned over here, wasn't it? it? Wasn't so I got a copy of it. Ridiculous, isn't it, really? And, uh, and we watched that, and then literally Bad Lieutenant came out about a year later. Oh, that, that, cha- that changed my opinion about it. I, I like Bad like Lieutenant. It. But then, I, I, I don't know if you remember, I bought, um, uh, which would be a future podcast, of course, uh, The Apocalypse Now. Um, box set including Hearts of Darkness which had the making of and had the clip of him and he had the clip of him in it and that's why I thought oh my god Harvey Keitel was in Apocalypse Now man how cool is that but for Harvey Keitel to get back and we'll talk about that in a minute the behind the scenes thing but you know, this is Quentin Tarantino's debut as a, a director. It wasn't his not first. As a, not as a writer. No, no, no. Um, True Romance. Was, True Romance. And I think he'd done Natural Born Killers, hadn't he? I think, yeah, he'd wrote the screenplays, but of course this was all, but this was got him on the map. Yeah, yeah. Reservoir Dogs gained more popularity once Pulp Fiction came out and everyone's going, man, who's, you know, Bruce Willis is in this film. Mm-hmm. You know, who, you know, uh, the guy, what's his name, who, who um, the ginger-haired fellow in, in Pulp Fiction who replaced... Um, was the original one in Back to the Future. Oh, uh, well... Played the mask. Eric Stoltz. Eric Stoltz, Eric yeah. Stoltz played mask. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. Not, not a Jim Carrey film, but the one with the... <laughs> yeah, big, yeah, the one with the... Big, yeah. big sound Special face. fellow. Spe- the special fellow. Well done, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's have the plot. Please jump in, Cal, as oh. per usual. Um, eight men eat breakfast at a Los Angeles diner. This is how the film starts. Um, before their planned diamond high, six of them use aliases, Mr. Blonde. And we're talking about the actors in a bit, but Mr. Blonde, played by Michael Madsen. Mr. Blue, Eddie Bongas. Mr. Brown, Quentin Tarantino. Mr. Orange, Tim Roth. Mr. Pink, Steve Buscemi, Mr. White, Harvey Keitel. And with them are their head leader, Joe Cabot, played by Lawrence Tierney, a great classic yeah. actor, and the organiser of the heist, and of course his son, nice guy, Eddie, Chris Penn. And the thing that's, the biggest thing that's wrong with it is the cover, isn't it? He's the cover. With Christopher he's wearing, Penn. He's wearing a suit. He's wearing a suit, cover. he never wears a suit, in it. No. I know it's a shame I know what happened to Christopher Penn, mm. but I, he could have gone on to be a good, he was a good actor. He was well, a he very seriously screwed up though. Well, weren't he? you look at his early films. I mean, he was, and, and the thing is that he died, he died actually. I mean, he died of a heart attack which, uh, due, due to obesity, basically. Um, he was. Uh, now, I read it on whether this is true or not. I don't know. Uh, trying to find details about Chris Penn was quite hard because all they seem to talk about is his alcohol, his drug. He was really screwed. Um, if you notice, well, during the uh, the Madonna speech, which we'll put a clip on at the end, which is which just opens this, the um, like a virgin yeah, yeah. blue speech. Chris Penn doesn't say anything. Well, of course, Sean Penn had just been just divorced um, yeah, yeah. Madonna at the time. It's funny because he always starts off with a bit like that, doesn't he? Because even in, you know, you've got like uh, in Pulp Fiction, uh, not Pulp Fiction, in True Romance, mm. you've got Christian uh, Slater talking about how he, he had to uh, fuck a man. He'd be Alvis. He yeah. always had a weird, he always started off like that, didn't mm. he? And I think that's what made can't you know I think when we first went to see that when we saw so bloody Al yeah. who, who plays Alvis in True Romance it's uh, Kurt Russell isn't it no it's not Kurt no. Russell it's um McClough I can see where you're coming from yeah right? yeah it's uh, when you're five actors I know yeah it's um, I have a, you know that's the thing I saw True Romance for years yeah. Val Kilmer Val Kilmer that's how I love yeah, Val Kilmer yeah. But that, I think when you saw that, for bloody hell, this is dialogue mm. that we that could was, write. We well, could write dialogue. Yeah. This we're not classically trained mm. screenwriters, you know. 
even though Pin Tantino talked about that he wow. from the street I worked yeah, in a video yeah, shop yeah. but he was also going to university he's going to film it's like yeah. Kevin, Kevin Smith yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he went to film school before he made Claire hey I'm not I'm not no, taking no, anything was... away from that because I mean you know Smith um, I know people slags Kevin Smith but he's, I mean he's become, I, I, he's become something you know he's become well he's, right. a, he's self-funded now and I don't blame him to be fair but, hey you know I'm not going to take away he's done some you know, amazing films. And so is Tarantino. He's let himself down a little bit with, of course, Inglorious, which yeah. we'll talk about later on, maybe, if we get to it. Yeah, um, yeah no, they, they they leave the diner. Oh, sorry, I was talking about Chris Penn, wasn't I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, um, he, he he used to start fights in his, his hotel complex, his, you know, condo complex. And apparently, when, he, when his uh, house cleaner found him, there was, you know, drink bottles everywhere, and he'd been dead a, a long enough for ants to get to his eyes. So that's a nice image for everybody. Yeah, yeah, I, I, but he was, he, I, I saw a photograph of him before he died, and my lord, you would not have guessed it I think, was him. It was I know, because a lot of people talked about it, but what, you know, you've got a millionaire brother, yeah. but I don't think he could do anything. No, he couldn't. Money, he, money doesn't get you out of things. I mean, it's probably even worse, isn't it? Yeah, and I right? think they'd have fallen out anyway, because I yeah. think they'd fall out anyway. Because, you know, yeah, sure, Penn, really? I guess I wish I'd say Sean Penn, isn't he? He's his person. But then Penn's quite screwed up. Oh, I don't like Sean Penn. Oh, I love him as an actor. I can't stand him as a person. Mm. I, I think he's a fantastic actor, mm. but he's a proper snob. Yeah, he's not I don't like him. No, don't mind it. Um, now, after they leave the diner, the action abruptly cuts to a speeding car in which Mr. White comf- uh, comforts Mr. Orange, who's been shot in the abdomen, who's bleeding profusely. Um, love that scene in that. I mean, Tim Waff's acting in that was just just blind. Well, again, I think this was where Tim Roth had just first gone to America, hadn't he? Because he was big over here anyway, because we'd sort of been lots of... Meantime and... Plays and all yeah. that. He'd been all to like Gary Oldman. And, uh, you know, he's so good in this. Because I remember we were saying, but Tim Roth, the... Yeah. We know him. What's his yeah. name? Cause yeah. really he looks really young in it as well, doesn't he, in this? It's really weird. Um, shortly after that, they uh, they reach the abandoned warehouse. So Mr. Pink arrives. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, my, my Reservoir Dogs um, DVD, special edition DVD is the Mr. Pink version. Because, I, I mean, I was obsessed with Steve. I thought Steve Buscemi looked brilliant. No, um, no, you loved his hair, didn't you? you loved his hair. hair. <laughs> loved his hair. It's all floppy, and I like the way he grew a little goatee beard. He's, he's like a funny-looking fella. Kind of funny-looking. That's like how far I go, isn't it? That's right. I describe him as a funny-looking fella. <laughs> yeah. And he still gets that description now. Yeah. You know, in Boardwalk Empire, they describe him in that. It's a funny really fella, because I think it's an ongoing joke now. Yeah. It's just a funny-looking fella, isn't I mean, it? He, does, he does probably the best line in Con Air, where he goes, describe Ivany. A bunch of lunatics on an airplane singing a song that the band died in the plane crash. No, he's really good in that, you know. Oh, yeah. it's, it's a really, it's a really interesting character because you know he's a paedophile, mm. but you don't really know what because there's that bit with the girl. You don't know what he's done. No. Yeah, but the, girl, the girl's still alive. The girl's still alive, so you don't know. Uh, whether they copped out on that. Oh, I don't do you think they were going to do something bigger there? And I just, don't know. Because the, the, oh, I love Con Air. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's such an enjoyable it's, film. It's one of those things that you can put in, which we, I know me and you disagree about it. Not, not together, but we agree about it. It, that people use but they use the guilty pleasure thing no no pleasure yeah, yeah, no, but um, but it is isn't it? it's a film it's a Cusack oh, it's a Cusack cage film. I love that and The Rock yeah. you know they're just really entertaining <laughs> maybe we should do that what? no maybe not it doesn't come in a category of does it <laughs> no. we could do a waffle about Nick Cage not from now yeah crazy son of a bitch yeah. that he is oh have you seen the um, the so pictures that... of him in, his, in the Superman outfit <laughs> oh god I don't know whether they're doctored I don't know but <laughs> he's he got when he's looking a bit he's got, he's, a, yeah. he's got a black mullet in it and it's t- I know they could be doctored, I don't know, but he yeah. was all he looked I know like he always wanted to play that part really bad, didn't he? No, anyway, Mr. Pink arrives and tells him that Mr. Brown was killed during the heist, and the men discuss Mr. Blonde, who murdered several civilians after the alarm triggered. Uh, Mr. White is angered that Joe, an old friend of his, employed such a psychopath and agrees about a possible setup, while Mr. Pink reveals that he escaped. 
Rue the diamonds and hid them in a secure location. They argue over whether to take their name unconscious Mr. Orange to hospital, while Mr. White also reveals that he's told Mr. Orange his name and his hometown because his name is Larry. And he's yeah. like but there's a great scene now where he turns around and goes, um, did, you, did you shoot anyone? Because a couple of cops goes, did you shoot any real people? Yeah. Well, I love that. To me, it was the first, I think, because I've always loved bank heist films, and I still love a bank heist film, that's a bank heist film without a bank heist in it. Mm, yeah, to me, yeah. I, I, I know that people are going to go, oh, there's been loads of films that have done it, and there has over, over history. But for me, that was the first time I'd saw it. Because well, well, I remember mean, when you when it first it was like, oh, I'm a bit annoyed, I didn't see the thing. But the more mm. you think about it, I thought, well, actually, you might have spoiled it. Yeah. I think the heist in it, it would have been about the heist. It wasn't about the heist, it was about the people in the heist. Now, there's a bit where you get a flash, you get a couple of flashbacks, only two flashbacks, but you get the flashback where you see um, uh, Mr. Pink, uh, the, the, Mr. White driving. The shooting of the cops in the car. We had Hamish. The only shooting shot. a bit, really, isn't it? Well, you see, you see, see Mr. Owen shoot that woman who shoots him. Yeah, yeah. It's not my reaction. You then see, you see Mr. White shoot the two cops in the car, and that's where Mr. that's Hamish the most violent bit, that is, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, you then you see Mr. Pink legging it and getting hit by the car and rolling over it and dragging the woman out. Yeah. Which yeah. Is actually, oh, there's a behind the scenes thing I tell you. Yeah. And then there's, there's two flashbacks. One with Mr. White meeting Joe and Mr. Mr. Blonde meeting Joe, where they have that uh, uh, nice guy he has that rest match. There's a scene in it where uh, Joe's talking to uh, Mr. White about the high, how the high is going to go. And he's diamonds. He says, are, you, are we going to get the ice, get rid of the ice? And he goes, oh, I've got a full, full plan. He goes, I thought you used to use Marcellus. And he goes, oh, he's, he's in time for five years. Who's Marcellus in Pulp Fiction? Where's the black, the black, the, the black, the black, now, there's two connections to that. Well, there is it because he said they're in the same world, didn't Yeah, they? and also, um, uh, Mr. White talks about um, Patricia Arquette's character from True Romance. And apparently, I think he's in the behind the scenes, so I'm, if I do apologize, I'll repeat myself. But they talk about the fact that that was going to be changed. But of course, Beans Quinton didn't direct True Romance. Tony Scott did, because Tony mm-hmm. Scott wanted to um, direct Reservoir. Um, that's not in it so it doesn't really quite tie but you can believe it's all in that world yeah definitely yeah, 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 because like, well you you know he's got a really funny thing with bank robberies because like Honey Bun in, yeah, yeah. you know that, that, that you know that's the best I think that's the, my favourite scene in all of Pulp Fiction of course he kills it slightly though with, with Tim Roth playing that character doesn't it really? yeah because he kind of takes you out of that world slightly, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if you go along with that I mean I know I know you can just, it's like a bit like when people turn around and say that, um, you know, the, the uh, Freeman Adjuman, who, who played Martha Jones in Doctor Who, had appeared in an episode of Doctor Who, the same as uh, Karen Gillan play, uh, had already been in Doctor Who, playing a different character. Yeah. You know, you could turn around and say, well, that's her, so she can't be in it. Mm. But, you know, you've got to give that away. It's like if they did a Fantastic Four thing, though apparently they're remaking I've heard they're rebooting it again. Yeah, that? rebooting it again, but maybe so. No, anyway, uh, Mr. White and Mr. Ping have a bit of a bargy, and the, yeah, Mr. White kicks him, and that's when they pull the guns out, and they turn around and says, you know, I'm trying to be a professional here, which is an ongoing thing that Mr. Pink always says. That's a homage to an old film. Yeah. Mr. Blonde's been watching him from a distance, step forward. Malcolm Madsen's really gone downhill of late, but here he's brilliant. I still he's, think he's a brilliant present. I, I, oh, yeah. I never thought he was the best actor in the world, but one thing about him, he had a masculine presence, didn't he? Oh, absolutely. He? Oh, yeah. You, do, you know. Yeah, yeah you know he's for real. Yeah, yeah. I saw that in that, but it, it ended up in Big Brother, but he still had that in that. Everyone right. was scared shit or something. Yeah, although he was a bit wimpish at the end. He right? was a bit wimpish at the end. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, Mrs. A, Mr. Blonde's been watching him, and uh, Mr. White berates him for the deadly rampage, but Mr. Blonde dismisses the criticism. He tells the others to wait as Eddie's on his way. Mr. Blonde has also taken a police officer, Marvin Nash, played by uh, Kurt Bolt's hostage, and the three men beat Nash, which is a horrible scene. 
In an attempt to find out as an informant, Eddie then arrives and orders Mr. Pink and Mr. White to assist him in retrieving the stolen diamonds and dispose of the hijacked vehicles while Mr. Blonde stays with Nash and the unconscious Mr. Orange. Now, along with Mr. Blonde, Nash denies any knowledge of the setup, but Mr. Blonde is uninterested and tortures Nash for his own amusement, uh, slashing Nash's face with a straight razor and severing his right ear. He then douses Nash with gasoline, but before he can ignite it, Mr. Orange shoots and kills Mr. Blonde. Mr. Orange then reveals to Nash he's the undercover cop reassuring Nash that upon Joe's role, a large police force will come out. Now, what's not mentioned there, and I just want your opinion about the ear slasher scene, but before uh, before that, the cop turns around and says, I know, mm-hmm. I met you I met you a couple of months ago. And to me, the real hero of that is the fact that the cop who's had his face slashed, his ear cut off, he's doused in petrol, still never gives yep. the game away. No, no, that's about... But I said that, that I always think that scene is completely blown up out of proportion how violent it is anyway, isn't it? And why is that? But, well, like I said, because you don't see anything, but you hear. It's all about the noise in that, isn't it? And you, and There's no noise in it. So you hear him uh, clearly. There's that thing, you know. Like When I said I watch with horror films with Emma, I watch all the other Emma, looking away makes it worse. Because you put something in your head yeah. that's there. That's not there, which you imagine, And you think, well, you know, because you watch it, it ain't that violent, really, yeah. is it? It's not noise. Well, it's the whole thing, isn't it? It's like, what, why are you afraid of the dark? It's because you can't see anything. Yeah, yeah. That's the Look, thing. I said, people always thought about that bit, but not the bit that shot two coppers in a yeah. car, which yeah. is a lot worse and a lot more visceral, but that don't matter. Mm. You know, that doesn't matter. With, with the bit with the, you know, everyone went, I thought, but it ain't even that bad. Yeah. What I noticed as well, and fair play to whoever did the, um, the continuity on that. If anyone hears a rumble, that's my stomach. Damn right. <laughs> um, if anyone knows continuity on that, the ear, when he drops the ear down, that ear is there from that moment on all the way through the film. Oh, it's still, it definitely... Yeah, it's Actually, on the same that you're saying yeah. now. You, you look, look it's, just, it's just on the floor by his foot. You see it all no, the time. That's hard continuity. That's damn it? good continuity. Also, I really like the way how Mr. Blonde... Uh, sorry, Mr. Orange shoots Mr. Blonde. And the fact that he, he, as he's stumping, he's trying to lift, keep his, his, his gun up. And it's, and it's just a brilliant scene. It's well, really classic, good. That bit is the classic Mexican standoff, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, well, that comes in there, I don't Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the I, also like, I also like Madsen's line, where he goes, uh, uh, are you going to bark? Yeah, no, that's you're the... Luggy, or are you going to bite? That is just brilliant. Now, Eddie, Mr. Pink and Mr. White return to the warehouse to find Mr. Blonde dead. Mr. Orange claims that Mr. Blonde is going to kill all of them and take the diamonds for himself. And after impulsively pulling out his gun and killing Nash, Eddie rejects Mr. Orange's claim, saying that Mr. Blonde was a close personal friend who had always remained loyal to his father. Then Joe arrives and reveals that Mr. Blue is dead. He confidently accuses Mr. Orange of being an informant, forcing Mr. F- uh, White to defend his friend. Joe, about to execute Mr. Orange, is stopped when Mr. White points his gun at him, and Eddie in turn takes on aim on Mr. White. Joe eventually shoots Mr. Orange, wounding him again. Mr. White shoots and kills Joe in response. Eddie shoots Mr. White, wounding him, and Mr. White shoots and kills Eddie. Mr. Pink, who was hiding during the melee, takes the diamonds and flees, badly wounded. Uh, a badly wounded Mr. White falls to Mr. Orange and cries him in the arms. However, Mr. Orange then reveals that he is in fact the undercover mm-hmm. cop. Devastated, Mr. White points the gun at Mr. Orange's head. The police storm the warehouse, demanding that Mr. White drop the gun. The frame zooms in on Mr. F- the face of Mr. White, who apparently pulls the trigger on Mr. Orange and is then shot by the police. You don't know though, do you? Yes, you do. You do know? Yeah. Because I know... It's in the facts. It is, because Quinton said he left that open, didn't he? It is, but I mean, I remember when we had the video of this. If you remember, I turned... I turned... Stop to pause it, but I also turned... Now, I believe that Mr. White, as he fell, turns and shoots Nice Guy Eddie. That's how Nice Guy Eddie dies. Because there was the rumour that that Mr. Pink shoots one of them. Yeah, yeah. Right? 
Um, you hear Mr. Pink. Mr. Pink does survive. He's the only one who survives. And you hear, because I remember turning the volume up, and if you hear, you can hear the cops say, get on the floor, get on the floor. You don't hear any gunfire. Ah. So he's obviously been arrested. Ah. So before we get on the facts, Cal, uh, let's talk about some of the uh, leads in this, and then you, you, I'll just give you yeah, the fact yeah, you yeah. pitch in here. Right? Now, Harvey Keitel as Larry Dimnick. That's the name of him. That's okay. his name. Yeah, okay, Mr. White. Born May the 13th, 1939. So he's 73 in Brooklyn, New York. Been present as an actor since 1967. What would you say uh, is Keitel's best best work? Would you say it's his best work? Because uh, uh, I, I, I mean, in, in film, not in TV. I mean, I know yeah. he's done the remake, well, the remake of Life on Mars, but I've never not seen it, so I don't really know. He's, he's okay, mate. He's yeah. okay, yeah. Um... That's, that, that's the kind of role if he would have been 10 years younger it would have been brilliant because yeah. you could see he was, he's old now and I think yeah. he ain't right a 71 year old beating people up because I wouldn't mm. be doing that um, all the films I've saw you know he's really good in Pulp Fiction but he's not in it very much he's, a, no, he's the cleaner he's the cleaner but he's yeah. really funny in that isn't yeah. he um, yeah because he's been in a lot of shit as well he has been in a lot of things um, I, really, I really like him in a film it's a brilliant film from the, uh, from the late 70s it's called Fingers it's about a gangster who's a pianist at the same time. Mm. He's really good in that. Uh, remade by, uh, weirdly, that was remade in France, which oh, right. generally is the way around, but that was one of the first time that's happened, called uh, The Heart That My Beat Skips. Oh, right. Anyway. Thank you for that, Pat. That was a, a very go. nice one, sir. There you go. It's a really good film. Um, I'd, I'd say, yeah, because um, oh, I love Bad Lieutenant, but mm. it is a horrible film. It it's, a hard, you, it's hard work. It makes you it? feel dirty after you've watched that film, because it don't make any sense why he's letting people off. Yeah. Because he, he finds some people who write that known and then he puts them on a bus and they get away. I do not understand it's what not, that redemption yeah. is supposed to be. There's no redemption to that. The redemption, 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 he would have killed them. Yeah. I don't I understand. Mean, you can see what else he does in that film. Not yet. Let's oh, not well, that's the bit that's the famous bit, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, definitely, I'd say so. Well, for, for what we've saw, I don't know he's done probably that old, you know, 50 films, but the ones I've saw, I, I can't, you know, he's brilliant in Taxi Driver. Yeah. But, you know, he's only eight a bit again in a. Uh, Tim Roth as Freddie Newendike, aka Mr. Orange, unusual name there. Uh, born Simon Timothy Roth, uh, Roth, good name there, I must admit. Uh, 14th May 1961, so he's 51 now in Dulwich, London, England. Uh, been an uh, actor since uh, 1982. Now he's really he's uh, on, on the same level of. Um, TV acting in America because he plays the is it the liar? Uh, is, it, uh, is it lie to me? Don't lie to me. Yeah, 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 plays yeah. that bloke with that. You can tell if you're lying. If you're lying, yeah. Now uh, um, we, we knew him from like meantime. We've seen him twice. He's been grew up with him really. Yeah. It's always about weren't he? But he's a kind of people. He's in a big Hollywood film. It's like I don't know how he ever got that role. No, got that. Same in the role of Gary Oldman. though, isn't he? in that kind. He was that. that there's, like, there's a group of them. Right, of, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's well. He's about that camp masculinity that. Michael Madsen, born Michael Solon Madsen, as Vic Vega. Of course, Vic Vega is the brother of Vincent Vega from Portugal. Yeah, yeah. Right? Okay, Mr. Blonde the Because he said he had another film about the Vegas brothers, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, but they got they're too old to do it. Too, now. Too to be old fair, John Travolta is too much of his own backside. <laughs> now, uh, born September 25th, 1957, in Chicago. Uh, other names are uh, Macklem Madsen. Oh. So a um, bit of a funding going on there. Uh, been present since 1982, so we've all been about the same. Tarantino, of course, uh, born Quentin Jerome Tarantino. Um, gets shot in the head. Weird thing, you know, he apparently gets shot in the head and dies in that, but he's actually still drive a car, but still. Yeah, yeah, that, that mate, no, it gets, it's a really weird, I remember, I always liked the really, really headshot scene that is because he's just talking, isn't he? Yeah, and then and he goes, you'll be all right, all right. Then he has a little bit of blood pours out, and he's dead, and you think, yeah. well, 
Should have a pug giving you in. It'd be a lot worse than that. It wouldn't be. A... Yeah, it's the biggest. It's Tarantino's wanting to jump in. It'd be like a strange Australian accent in yeah, yeah, language. Right, right. Uh, yeah, born uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, been going since '88. Uh, of course, we all know that he's done uh, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, Kill Bill, Inglorious, and Django Unchained. Well, like I, I said, I, you know, I was talking about this, didn't I? I'm, I'm Matt Binger yeah, saying, I, last I, one, yeah, he, you know, I, will he be? Is he the best director of our generation? I think so because the, the, a great director talks about a canon of work. Right, five five to ten films that can, that can show you can do everything. He's done a bit of everything. Would you say now. that he's done everything? No, would you not say that? I mean, I know he has. I know he there is a, the, the ball. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the thing with him. Yeah. I, his next I film, think he needs to pull something different out of the bag because let's face it, we know Kill Bill one and two should have just been one film. Oh, it's right? great. I do. I, 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 I love Kill Bill. Films. But it should be edited together. Yeah, yeah. Inglorious, yeah. apart from you know your man. Uh, it's got some good bits. It's got Michael Fassbender and the German, obviously, guy. Yeah, Christian Fultz. It's got yeah. some good bits. But the rest in of it is no, no, it's got the worst ending. Oh, it's oh. terrible. Uh, it yeah, so Django. Yeah, Django's amazing. Nice Django. well, well, yeah, yeah. You know what? I'm not going to see him. I'm just buying it. Anyway, Steve Buscemi, of course, born Stephen uh, Vincent Buscemi, born 13th of uh, December 1957 in Brooklyn, and he's been going since 1985. Active writer director. He's a brilliant actor. He's a really good actor, though. Fargo. Like I said, he's brilliant in Bloody Bordeaux can be so. He's, a, he's been good in everything. People, he's a proper character. Ca- one, of, one, character of the best, at- one of the best things in the Big Lebowski as well, I think, really. Oh, no, he's really funny in he's that, so isn't good. he? He's and really... you say you feel safe for him as well. It's a, that is a weird film. It starts off funny, yeah. and then you realise that John Goodman's a really horrible character. He's a horrible character. He's really, really horrible. Yeah, yeah. He's a proper bully, isn't he? Eddie Bunker as Mr. Blue, born December 3rd, 1933 in Hollywood, uh, died July 19th, 2005 at 71, unfortunately. He was a real, uh, he was, he was uh, quite dodgy. Yeah, <laughs> I've got here on my, my script, uh, occupation, author, screenwriter, actor, spend some time in jail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Chris Penn, of course, as Nice Guy Eddie, born Christopher Shannon Penn, October 10th, 65, died at the sinister, criminally uh, young age of 40 on uh, January 24th, 2006. Lawrence Tierney of Joe's Joke, about a huge career. Uh, born March 15th, 1919 in Brooklyn. Died uh, 26th of February 2002 at 82. Um, please do just go check his IMDb page. Uh, he's got, he always looked the same, even as old as he got. <laughs> yeah. Now, Randy Brooks played uh, Holloway, of course. Kurt Bolt played Officer Nash. Um, Lawrence Bender does turn up in The Young Cop. Uh, there's one great scene which I'd totally forgotten about um, in this film was the scene where uh, Tim Roth is talking about one of his backstories to get him in with the crowd and he walks into that toilet. Do you know, for this, Emma was saying last night, my favourite bit is the bit with the police dog. Yeah, the police dog barking and now yeah. talking about the, the yeah. thing. And just that's that's my wife's favourite scene, that is. You know, I forgot about that until I watched Yeah, like I said, I was... I think because we've done it so, and I mean, we did this film to death. I can't get out of the minutes I was used to watch this. Yeah. It was like every Friday night you watch <laughs> this. Because, you know, it talks about this. So, so I'm jumping onto something else now, but it's all in the same thing. That when you read the Simon Pegg biography, which is a great read, um, he talks about this. That's where him and uh, Nick Frost bonded on. Oh, really? And he said uh, he knew, they were, you know, he said he knew they were friends for life because they were sitting there about to watch it. And uh, some of the preacher man come on and went, dun, 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 dun. Nick Frost went, hits from the bong. Ah. Which is Cypress Hill, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is, yeah. And he thought straight away, he's my friend Finger. And I thought, they, he said, that film, he said, you know, you can never shake it off. It was such an influential. It changed films because films weren't like that before that. They weren't snappy well, yeah. dialogue. I mean, Paul Fiction, when they have some of the preacher man there, he's just like, it's just, 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 I don't know what it is about that. It just brings that film together, doesn't it? Yeah, so, you know, you, you know, when you, 
young watching Quentin Tarantino films, like, especially them two well, together. It's like when you, I, I'm thinking about what you just said earlier on about you know, would you say that Tarantino is the you know the, the filmmaker of, gener- of our generation? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to say yeah. I'm going to agree with you here because I think imagine what it must have been like for people who are 10, 15 years old than us. And their filmmaker, their generation, is Martin Scorsese. Scorsese, yeah. I think that was both slightly Coppola. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then then, then 10 years, maybe just before then, Kubrick is your... Yeah, 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 definitely. Definitely, I think that's what I think. Who are are young kids now? Who's their filmmaker? Well, I'd be interested because I think films like that, but, you know... I think Edgar Wright could go on to be a great director. Mm. He's, you know, I love his the only films he's done. But these people talk about how great Nick Frost are and Simon Pegg. We talk about this, but the really true talents in that was Edgar Wright, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, because I, I quite like Scott Pilgrim. Oh, no, I, I really, love, I, I really, I really like love that film. Yeah. People really love that film. I know it did really bad in America, didn't I? but I... If you've got into gaming and punk oh, rock, definitely, it's yeah. quite hard. It's really, it's really funny. Yeah. You know, Macaulay Corkin, not Macaulay Corkin, he's younger, Rory Corkin. Yeah. He's really funny. That's really funny seeing that guy a bit done. But uh, <laughs> no, I, sp- I don't know. I suppose there is, but is the young directors who are coming up making. So how old was Tantino now he did this? Was he, I think he was in his 30s, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, late 20s, 30s. Mm. Is there anyone like that? Would the big, you know, is it? Could you get a film made like that now? You probably couldn't. No, there, there must be stuff. maybe we need to look outside of the the Hollywood kind of thing, and, and maybe there's a French director, Australian. Yeah, but that's what Japanese we were saying. Now. That, that, that was Hollywood then. Yeah, it was. It was. It was open Hollywood. Hollywood's a closed shop now. And uh, you know, I think Quinton couldn't get this film made now. No, you know, he struggles with his films still. Look at the backlash Django's got. People talk about really violence in the film about violence. What are you going to do? Well, there you go. Yeah, I can't. You know, it's a film about bank robbers. People are too sweary. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be speaking like Raw well, Shakespeare. Well, no, there's a fact here for you. So here's a fact. Of course, Steve Wright. You mentioned him earlier on as K Billy uh, DJ only. Now, Tarantino had been working the video archives. Of course, we said that. You know, he had a budget, a budget initially of thirty thousand dollars and a sixteen millimeter camera. Thought he was going to film it all up. We've produced a large bender. Um, and they played uh, the, the police officer chasing Mr. Pink. Now, when the actor Harvey Keitel got involved, he got the money up to $1.5 million, So just because, and he, of course, he was co-producer on that then. So, so it shows what a name can do, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Now, here's some influences here. Cal, you probably can jump in here. Reservoir Dogs was, according to Tarantino, influenced by Kubrick's The Killing, saying that, mm. uh, I didn't want to go out of my way to do a rip-off The Killing, but I did think of it as my killing, my take on that kind of heist movie. It's a, I tell you what, it's, weirdly, I had to do that in the film studies about that film. It's very documentary, and I think um, he definitely brought that into it, like the like hyper realism, mm. like you know the violence in Wizard looks like it hurts. Yeah, absolutely. You know, something when he's shot scene. in the stomach and he's crying, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's like you know we were brought up when a lot of from the six seventies, a lot of films were macho. Mm. You know, I've been shot. I can carry on with this, like. Oh, yeah, really yeah, fucking hurt me. Yeah. You know, he can't do anything. Yeah, the way that he's saying, I can't believe she's killed me. Like, yeah. You know. Um, also, the main character's being named after Colours uh, was first seen in a 1974 film. It's Tekken Pen and 1-2-3. Yeah. I absolutely love that film anyway. Not the bloody new one that's absolutely terrible with Denzel Washington. Mm. But yeah, I, I think he's admitted he got that from that, didn't he? Uh, Tarantino wanted James Woods to play a role in the film and made him five different cash offers. Woods' agent refused the offers without even mentioning it to Woods as the sums offered were well below what Woods would usually receive. When Tarantino and Woods later met for the first time, Woods learned of the offer and was so annoyed he got the new agent. Oh, you, you wonder, James Woods is amazing oh, after yeah. anyway. Imagine uh, him in that. Tarantino avoided telling Woods which role it was, but it's become generally known that it was Mr. Orange. 
Mm, so I could see James Woods playing the Mr. Pink role. Oh, I was going to say, I can't be Mr. Pink, yeah. Mm. The film contains 272 words of the F word. Yeah, but like I said, like, you know, it's a film about, you know, illiterate idiots, really. Mm. You, know, people, you know, this thing, I've never understood why people have got to think about swearing. It's only a word. Yeah, especially in the films over 18. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's only a word. Uh, Tarantino originally wrote the, the role of Mr. Pink for himself, but Steve Buscemi originally auditioned for the part of Mr. White. Michael Madsen had auditioned for the role of Mr. Pink. Clooney read the role of Mr. Blonde. Uh, but was turned down. Christopher Walken refused the same role. Uh, ironically, because when you see him dancing later on in True Romance, uh, well, not dancing, but when he's in True Well, funny how they all come in back. Fiction, of course, it's yeah. funny that, isn't it? Vincent Gallo, who in my opinion is one of the most oh. overrated individuals in Hollywood, I'm sorry, but I think he is, uh, turned down the role of Mr. Pink. Samuel L. Jackson auditioned for the role of Mr. Orange. You only don't like him because he... Uh... Oh, okay. <laughs> A certain woman. <laughs> Chloe Savini, how could you do so? Uh, once Tim Roth was cast, Tarantino originally wanted to play Mr. Blonde or Mr. Pink. Uh, Robert Foster, yeah, 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 and Timothy Carey auditioned for the role of Joe Cabot, and the film is dedicated to Carey. David Duchovny auditioned for a role in the film. I can see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I thought you can sort of see because he was quite speedy with his dialogue, weren't he? Yeah. yeah. The final uh, print of the film came back just three days before its premiere at Sundance. But yeah, that's plenty of fun. During filming, a paramedic was kept on set to make sure that Mr. Orange's blood loss was realistic. Well, that's interesting, isn't yeah. it? Um, the warehouse where the majority of the movie takes place was once a mortuary and thus full of coffins. And Mr. Blonde is not sitting on the crate, of course, he's sitting on the back of the hearse when you look at it. Now, I didn't know that, but until you look at the film, oh. the hearse is covered in a brain, uh, brain spray. And also, um, the scene from Mr. Omidji's flat, his apartment, is actually above the warehouse. They just decorated it just to. Now, that, that it. shows you what you can do with it, you know. Sometimes you think. I also think some of Queen Santino's problem is he's got oh, he's had too much budget. Yeah. I think some of them directors work better with a taut budget because I think, you know, like I said, people always talk about Santino with the violence, but we talk about this. It's, a, it's scripts, what makes Queen Santino brilliant, yeah. not the violence. Now, here's some of these things that are, are, are put in the film, which we, you, you generally wouldn't notice until it's pointed out. Again, probably a good thing if it's pointed out to you, then go back and watch. Now, directing, uh, directly prior to the scene showing the colours of coloured bottles of soap, um, you can see two shirts hanging on the wall this is in the warehouse and a rag in the distance on the floor these are appropriately in sync with the surnames of the characters in their present states Mr White and Mr Pink are upright and close to each other corresponding to the two shirt colours while the orange rag lying on the distance would be the position of Mr Orange in the floor fucking hell I know it's crazy isn't it Michael Madsen had difficulty filming a torture scene he was particularly reluctant when he was required to hit actor Kurt Bolt when the cop pleading for his life says that he has a child at home no this was not a line in the script uh-huh. Madsen himself a new father at the time was so disturbed by the idea of leaving a child fatherless he couldn't finish the scene when you watch that now that you go back and watch it as he doses him he goes back He's meant to go and hit him again, and and uh, does the you know uh, ad libs and goes, "Please, I've got a child at home," and he just stops, and he just laughs when he goes to light the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's quite. Uh, there's a Wilhelm one for Anthony, Anthony James here. Uh, there's a Wilhelm scream. Oh, there is. Where is it? The famous scream is heard when Mr. Pink pushes a pedestrian on the sidewalk while being pursued by the cops during the escape. And you can't hear it because I, I looked at it for last Bloody time. hell, I never know that. And, um, the theatrical release of the film contains no female speaking parts, but there are some in the 10th anniversary DVD. Which I don't know, didn't notice myself, but there you go. Um, for the European release, the distributor used one sheet posters for each of the main characters. This was quite a novel idea at the time. It had become very wide, uh, widespread. 
The suit Harvey Keitel wears is his own, and it was been specifically made for him by French designer Agnès B. The movie, of course, as we said earlier on, is purely um, pre-released songs, no musical score. Um, there was another scene, the ear scene. There is, because there is donated scenes about yeah, it, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, and you can see on them. Uh, the film's budget was so low, the actors used their own clothing, most jokingly. Chris Penn's wearing his own jacket in that, which is terrible, let's face it. Steve Buscemi wears jeans, black jeans, not a suit. It's not a suit? And he wears black jeans in that. I didn't know that. Yep. <laughs> That's his thing, because all you think of now is because that famous bit, dunk. You just think of them walking in a suit, can't well, you? He's just black, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Robert Kurtzman did the special makeup effects for free on the condition that Quentin Tarantino wrote, wrote a script for From Dusk Till Dawn based oh. on his own story. Oh, that's brilliant as well. That's really good anyway, isn't it? That is really good. But is there ever a fact why you called him Reservoir Dogs? Uh, yeah, there is actually. Yeah, I always know. You know, I've never, I've never, I've read loads of things about. It. I could never actually get why you called it Reservoir Dogs. I think it's on the next, uh, the next fact. <laughs> oh, there you go, there you go, there you go. Uh, the line, uh, the one after this one, the line where Mister White tells Mister Pank Pink, Mister Pank Plank, <laughs> uh, "I need you to be cool. Are you cool?" was added into the script after a conflict between Lawrence Tierney and Michael Madsen to break up the scuffle and yeah. continue shooting. Tarantino said to Tierney, "Larry, I need you cool. Are you cool?" This line and something from Pulp Fiction was sampled by from Loving Criminals. Yeah, yeah. This is a cool little scene here. According to this on the interview to DVD, Michael Madsen says that Kurt Balls, the guy who played the car, asked to ride in a trunk of Madsen's own car to, to, to feel what it was really like. Madsen agreed and thus then decided to drive down the long alley with potholes and then to attack a bell drive-thru before taking Bolts back to the parking lot and letting him out. The soda that he ordered at the drive-thru is the one that he's drinking in the warehouse at the beginning of his scenes. Fucking hell. So just to show how on, on budget was. Bloody right. Um, Mr. Blonde's Cadillac Decay, of course, is Michael, uh, Michael Madsen's car. The title for the film... Quentin Tarantino, via patron of the now famous video archives. While working there, Tarantino would often recommend little known titles to customers, and when he suggested Au revoir les enfants, the, enfants, the patron mockingly replied, I don't want to see no reservoir dogs. The title is never, of course, uh, spoken in the film. No, it's, it's like it's never used, and it? it don't mean anything in the film, does it? No. That's no. quite interesting. I, 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 that is, um, that's worth listening to. Tony <laughs> Gilliam's thanked in the uh, credits. What was that? Because he was uh, he was him at the Sundance workshop where Tarantino went to. Ah, uh, I'd love to because there is footage of that. He's got there is footage of it because I remember seeing it at the time. There's some of that that test footage hmm. when he's uh, when uh, Steve Scheme is doing it. Quentin Tarantino released this. That's said quickly, didn't it? Uh, Quentin Tarantino released this his debut film at the same year that Robert Rodriguez released his debut El Malici. I really like Hammer, actually, but it's a dirty, sleazy film. <laughs> oh, yeah. Tarantino has the first line of dialogue in the film, because we know that's the Madonna scene, which, of course, if you listen after the promos, you'll get to hear. Yeah, yeah. Man, there's loads of facts in here, isn't there? I'm starting to get a bit bored. I'm sure other people are as well. Um, oh, Tim Roth refused to read for the film. Uh, he did insist on going out drinking with Tarantino and Harvey Keitel, and he agreed to read for them when he was drunk. Bloody hell. That's such an English thing to do, isn't it? I, I don't know. I think it shows you a lot. Yeah, no, you've read... That book, haven't you, all about that? Oh, but a Jew. Yeah. How filmmaking was really different then. You could be, uh, uh, you know, it's that awful what term, a maverick. A maverick, yeah. Ooh, I hate that term. But, you know, Quintino is, and, you know, he's still getting flack after all these years, isn't he? How many really great films he's made and people still don't like him? Oh, he's too violent. He's misogynistic. Because I think the one thing about Quintino's weakest thing is he's not very good at female characters, is he? No. Now, here's the thing that you mentioned earlier on about the end, right? Um, 
It's a, it's a bit of a mistake in the film. It is. Yeah. Uh, Chris, Penn, uh, Chris Penn's blood scribs accidentally go off too early in the big standoff scene, forcing him to fall to the floor. Oh. There is not, as in commonly, commonly believed, a mystery round being Because everyone off. talks about that. That's the, the mystery reason, round, yeah, doesn't it? Why just, Where's it come from? The script just went off too early. Bloody hell. Because so, he fell straight to the floor. Now, the, uh, uh, Tarantino always stayed away from product placement, if you notice. Um, therefore, in, in any of his films, the things always come up. Uh, he's smoking packs like red apples. Red apples. Um, you know, he made that up for the film. He's, you know, these are the occasional time that they, they bring in a book, like his burgers and all that kind of jazz yeah. that he always, he always does. Um, and this, he does say here, Tarantino said, Mr. Pink does survive. And if you hear the, you know, raise the, the volume, you can actually hear it all going off in the background. Um, the actress who plays the lady, Mr. Owen Shoots, was actually Tim Roth's dialect coach. And Roth insisted that she take the role because she'd been really hard on him. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's actually a, a couple of nods to who the rat is. The one where Mr. Orange rats out Mr. Uh, Mr. Pink about not putting the dollar in for the for the tipping scene, oh, which is that. your favourite. Which yeah. is also we're going to play there. Oh, we? I love that. Oh, I love that scene. It's like I love that. I love the scene when he's reading the. The names off. Yeah. Toby Wong. Toby Wong. Toby Wong. He's done it for ages. He's really winding Steve for scheme. We're up in There's another thing as well, which I didn't notice until I read it on, on behind the scenes stuff, was that there's, um when they drive off, there's an orange balloon bounces into shot. Apparently that was just, that was just a mistake because it was just a balloon there. Uh-huh. But it seems a bit weird that there's an orange balloon. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, does it? Yeah. Because he's definitely... He, you know, he was into nods and winks to everything, weren't they? Mm. And, you know, I love all that. We love that kind of stuff anyway. Because no doubt, like Simon Pegg took all that in space, didn't he? Oh, yeah, definitely. Let's, let's you know, let's fill it full of stuff that we all love. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think there was people doing that before Quentin Tarantino. No, no, I, don't I, don't, I know people, there's maybe someone to pop up, yeah. But big major, <laughs> big major film where, oh, that's from something. You know, Pulp Fiction, even more extreme than mm. that. Not so much in Django, you know. I think you'd have to be really know you know westerns on that. I think so because it is a you know seriously not. I mean that's going to be a great DVD, isn't it? If they put like, I mean that's what I loved about Pegs and Edgar Wright's films when they come out on DVD and Blu-ray is a harmajometer. When you uh, it's a hard word to say. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, when you can you put that on, you see all these films that pop up, and you, even their ones. I mean, we and you know our films. Oh, we, yeah. we wouldn't we wouldn't do it on TV. We wouldn't do a podcast about it if we didn't know about it. And even then, you're sitting there thinking, God, I didn't know about that, did I? And, you know, Tarantino, there is no question he is as, as a reason. Well, I, told you, I, said, I read about when he was working in that video shop, uh, after he left college and he was banging around his reservoir. Basically, he's, what he'd do, he'd, um, at the end of the day, he'd hire films for the weekend, right? Buy a big bag of weed, that's mm-hmm. what he did, go to his house and watch films for 24 hours. Yeah. From the minute he got up to the minute he went to, he just watch, watch, and watch, and watch, and watch, and watch, and watch them. And, you know, and this, this is my finger probably with like modern Hollywood. There's, there's not enough people who actually like films in Hollywood. And I think. I mean, like, there's not enough, not enough like, DJs I'm, who like music. Yeah, British TV especially. Mm. There's a lot of people on the BBC, and I know this, who don't like TV. Yeah. And, and, and I think we need. I know he's made his mistakes, Quinton. You know, Death Proof is yeah, not the best film. But it's not. You still look forward to a Quentin Tarantino yeah. film. I mean, I've not seen Death Proof. I've not seen the, the the two films together, kind of thing. But they're not meant to. They? They're not meant to be good, were they? They're meant to be the, not the to the classic I like movie Death, drive. I really like Death Proof. You got Death Proof. I, I think I have somewhere. Oh, that's a buy. A few if you can find. Yeah, yeah. One, yeah. I, I love. You know, it's, it's got Kurt Russell. It's Kurt Russell in a B movie. Love me some Kurt Russell. He's a birthday, isn't it? 
He was his age, and he's like in his sixties now. I can never believe that. And we we, for his fiftieth birthday. I know. We still need to do a Kurtzall special edition podcast. We need to do. Anyway, so uh, (laughs) that's the end of this edition of the uh, podcast. I'll keep that uh, Dean Hill's name on a wooden wedge that we wrote all the names on the win, and we'll put that into pricing. How nice for him! (laughs) That is very lovely. Um, Cal, anything else to say before we wind up? No, I think that's it. I think it's been a bit. Hopefully, we've got to the point this time and not going on for hours. I think so. We'll soon know. You are for letters, mate. Yeah, sure. Listen, <laughs> what the you talk about me, you fucking idiot? Yeah, there you go. Uh, do we know what we do next? We don't. Do I don't think we do. So we'll, uh, oh, we'll yeah. announce that. Because um, we're going to see basically. And, well, you know, before we are going to do Anna Parsons one. But yeah, we're going to wait for the, the, the film to come out. That's definitely going to happen. We're going to do a. We're doing a little bonus episode oh, for, in, the, for the Doctor Who ooh, thing that we're yeah. going to go and see. Uh, we're going to see three episodes with uh, Adil Thomas uh, from Sending the Wave. She's coming with us. Hello, Adil. Hello. Um, so, but I think we might be doing a classic British TV program next. I think we do Blackadder Four at some point, aren't we? We are, yeah. But our co-host for that one, Mr. Pete Carlin, uh, off at the moment, sunning himself in Mexico. Oh, yeah, um, and we, yeah that's a good point. And we're doing Hitchhikers, Hitchhikers, Hitchhikers aren't we? We've, uh, we have. And Ray, uh, which I'll we don't know what we're doing if we're doing the TV. We're going to have the whole world. I think we'll probably just do the whole world, think about it, what, what it is, the basis, because it's the same generally, but just uh, the film shit. Um, so that's it. So I think that's it. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Waffle Arm. We'll see you next month. Take care. Bye. Have you ever experienced uncontrollable bouts of geekdom? If so, the Anomaly podcast may be right for you. In clinical studies, Anomaly's interviews, convention reports, commentary on geek culture, games, sci-fi and fantasy television, literature, and film provided a feeling of fullness while promoting health for optimal geekiness. The Anomaly podcast is not suitable for all people. Only geekily active cool chicks with a healthy sense of humor should listen. Geekily active cool guys should listen, too. Anomaly has resulted in sudden fits of squee. Broad smiles may appear without warning and could become permanent. The most common side effects of Anomaly are unconsciously joining in the Gamma Quadrant golf clap, out loud, at work, to the amusement of co-workers, and attempting to interject opinions aloud to hosts who can't hear the listener. But in all cases, the benefits outweigh the risks. Ask your anomaly if you're healthy enough for entertainment of this caliber. You don't need a doctor's messy handwriting to obtain a free subscription. Anomaly is available over-the-counter at Stitcher Radio and in the iTunes, Zune, and BlackBerry stores. You can also stream episodes of Anomaly and Anomaly Supplemental at AnomalyPodcast.com. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y Podcast.com. Just one one one-hour episode provides 24 hours of relief and never leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Do you ever wish you could go back in time? Join me on Out of Range Podcast and you almost can when I rediscover childhood favourites from TV, movies, toys, comic books and much more. They're usually irregular but always entertaining geeky media show Out of Range can be found at dangelous.com slash out of range search for Out of Range in iTunes or the podcast app of your choice I'll take care of the check you guys can get the tip should be about a buck a piece and you when I come back I want my book sorry it's my book now
Hey, I changed my mind. Shoot this piece of shit, will you? <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody cough up some green for the little lady. Come on, throw in a buck. Uh-uh, I don't tip. You don't tip? No, I don't believe in it. You don't believe in tipping? You know what these chicks make? They make shit. Don't give me that. She don't make enough money, she can quit. <laughs> I don't even know a fucking Jew would have the ball to say that. Now, let me just get this straight. You don't have a tip, huh? I don't tip because society says I have to. All right, I mean, I'll tip if somebody really deserves a tip. If they really put forth the effort, I'll give them something extra. But, I mean, it's tipping automatically. Uh, it's for the birds. <laughs> I mean, as far as I'm concerned, they're just doing their job. Hey, this girl was nice. She was okay. I mean, she wasn't anything special. What's special? Take you in the back and suck your dick. <laughs> I'd go over 12% for that. Hey, look, I ordered coffee, right? Now, we've been here a long fucking time. She's only filled my cup three times. I mean, when I order coffee, I want it filled six times. Six times? Well, you know, what if she's too fucking busy? Words too fucking busy shouldn't be in a waitress's vocabulary. Excuse me, Mr. Pink, but the last fucking thing you need is another cup of coffee. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I mean, these ladies aren't starving to death. They make minimum wage. And I used to work minimum wage, and when I did, I wasn't lucky enough to have a job that society deemed tip-worthy. You don't care they'd count on your tips to live? You know what this is? It's the world's smallest violin playing just for the waitresses. You don't have any idea what you're talking about. These people bust their ass. This is a hard job. So is working at McDonald's, but you don't feel the need to tip them, do you? Well, why not? They're serving you food. But no, society says, don't tip these guys over here, but tip these guys over here. That's bullshit. Waitressing is the number one occupation for female non-college graduates in this country. It's the one job basically any woman can get and make a living on. The reason is because of their tips. Fuck all that. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, I'm very sorry the government taxes their tips. That's fucked up. That ain't my fault. I mean, it would appear that waitresses are one of the many groups the government fucks in the ass on a regular basis. I mean, if you show me a piece of paper that says the government shouldn't do that, I'll sign it. Put it to a vote, I'll vote for it. But what I won't do is play ball. And it's non-college bullshit you're giving me. I got two words for that. Learn to fucking type. Because if you're expecting me to help out with the rent, you're in for a big fucking surprise. Just convince me. Give me my dollar back. Hey! Leave the dollars there. All right, ramblers, let's get rambling. Wait a minute. Who didn't throw in? Mr. Pink. Mr. Pink? Why not? You don't tip. You don't tip? What do you mean you don't tip? They don't believe in it. Shut up. What do you mean you don't believe in it? Come on, you. Cough up a bucket, cheap bastard. I paid for your goddamn breakfast. All right, since you pay for the breakfast, I'll put in. But normally, I would never do this. Never mind what you normally would do. Just cough in your goddamn buck like everybody else. Thank you. If you would like to voice your opinions in written or vocal form,